Hello, and welcome to Radical Candor, a podcast from Panoply and Gretchen Rubin's Onward Project about how not to hate the boss you have or be the boss you hate. I'm Russ Laraway, co-founder of Candor, Inc., and career-long operational manager across the Marines, Google, and Twitter. And I'm Kim Scott, co-founder of Candor, Inc., former executive at Google and Apple, former CEO coach, and the author of Radical Candor. So, Kim, today on the show, we're going to talk about interviewing and hiring. And by the way, this episode is inspired by a lot of listener feedback. We've heard a lot about how do I hire? How do I be a radically candid hirer? So we're going to cover that today. A good manager is nothing without a good team. And so it's critical to be able to bring on great people, but really hard to do well. So hard to pick just the right people. Somebody told me early on in my career that if you get half your hiring decisions right, you're batting above average. And that's a scary thing because you need to have a really good sense of what your team needs. And you also need to be able to evaluate the people that you interview to figure out if they're going to be a good fit for the team, not only in terms of skills, but in terms of culture. So in this episode, we'll share our stories and advice for hiring. Along the way, we'll share some stories about times when we've screwed this up. We'll answer a coaching question about determining whether you have an issue with hiring. And we'll finish, as always, with our candor checklist. We'll give you some specific hiring and interviewing tips. Ready, Russ? Yeah, let's do this. So, Russ, you and I have both hired a lot of people. I think there were about four years when I was working at Google, at least, where I spent 25 to 50% of my time just hiring. And we certainly haven't always got it right. No. By the way, during that same time, Google was putting badges on your internal page. You know, mm-hmm. everyone had their own page on the internal intranet. And I don't know if you know this or if you ever checked your badges, but they gave out a badge for having interviewed 500 people. I got a badge for hire- interviewing 1,000 people. There you go. I'm not, sure if I ever made it. I'm not sure I ever made it to 1,000, but absolutely made it to 500. Hiring is hard, and there's a bunch of things that make it hard. First of all, time pressure. Like hiring a 1,000, interviewing a 1,000 people takes up a a heck of a lot of time. Yeah, and an interview setting often gives you sort of, I guess, a limited ability to assess skills and fit. Yeah, you've got 45 minutes or an hour at best, and now all of a sudden you're going to decide if you're going to hit your wagon to this person. Yeah, try to make sense of of their background and all of that stuff. Another thing that makes it hard is bias. We all know we're biased, and figuring out how to deal with that in an interview situation is hard. Especially in our industry, but I think pretty much all industries, there's just really intense competition for great candidates. You know, they have lots of options, and you're trying to find people in an environment where they they can go almost anywhere else they want. So you're not just deciding if they're right, you're selling at the same time. That makes it hard. That makes it really tough. And so I have a story about a time that I got this wrong for a couple of those reasons, actually. It was when I was working at Twitter, when I was hiring for a reasonably senior role and hired this person. We'll just call him Arvin Mm -hmm. uh, for the sake of the story. It's a good name. And good guy, by the way, overall. And there were a couple aspects to the interview, interviewing process that we didn't get quite right and uh, blew up in our face a little bit. And really, there were two big ones. Number one, we were in a really big hurry. We had a charter to grow and scale a business really fast. And on top of that, there was a very specific problem manifesting of retention of our advertisers at that time. We really needed to solve that fast. And we thought we needed to hire somebody into that role to specifically focus on retention. Well, it turns out we also, in our haste, hadn't really clarified 
three or four distinct roles on my staff, right? Mm-hmm. And so those were the two big mistakes that we made. We brought in Arvin and the complexity of the environment and the fact that we hadn't clarified the roles, I think brought out some pretty bad behaviors in him. Mm -hmm. And Arvin just started wearing people out. I was getting complaints about this and not collaborative and too aggressive. It's kind of a land grab. Behaving a little bit land grabby sometimes, going over to cross-functional teams and just regulating and Mm. not in a nicer collaborative way. And so this feedback starts to really mount and come back toward me. And the way the story ends, you know, is Arvin doesn't make it right. It was just it was a combination of uh, we weren't fully clear on what the role was. And then Arvin just couldn't deal with that ambiguity in a constructive way. And so we ended up parting ways for Arvin, which was obviously a very painful experience for both Arvin, for me and the rest of the team. Yeah, Hard for everybody. And it's hard to come up with an interviewing process that is going to be rigorous It takes a lot of time to come up with a rigorous interviewing process, but it takes more time to fire somebody and more emotional energy. So it's worth putting in the time up front. Definitely, but it would have been worth checking with some references and making sure that because these behavioral problems with Arvin were not you can't say they were the fault of the ambiguity in the context, it just brought them out very quickly. And this is the kind of thing we could have gotten underneath. You could have have found it out. Before we ever brought Arvin in. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Kim? So my story, I'll never forget walking into an interview room. And I had just read about how most people make up their mind whether or not they're going to hire somebody in the first five seconds of an interview, like before they're finished shaking hands. And that seemed so wrong. So I walked into this room and saw this person sitting there. And before I had even said hello or shaken this guy's hand, I was pissed off at the interview team for sending this guy to me because he was so palpably insecure. Uh And and we were in an environment where that person just was, he was not going to be effective. He needed to have a great deal of confidence. And then I felt guilty for having this blank reaction. And so I sort of went way out of my way to try to understand this guy and discover all the good things about him. And I sort of overrode my blank reaction. Yeah. Appreciate you trying to control for that bias and that reaction, though. I think that's yeah, yeah, no, a horrible thing. Yeah, no, not horrible, but the result was horrible because... I wound up hiring somebody who I knew in an instant was going to fail in the job. And then the person spent, it was actually a sad story. He moved his family to the Bay Area from far away and wound up getting fired. I mean, it was a terrible experience for this guy. I could have spared him that. And I knew as soon as I walked in the room. So I think that when you do have that blink reaction, Try to take a minute to understand it. Don't reject it or accept it blindly. Try to really understand it. Is this an issue of bias or is this something you just know? So that's one of my more painful stories. Another mistake that I've made, and I'm ashamed to admit I've made this a few times, often you have a hole on a team. In other words, you have a five-person team. Someone's got to do this job. And you need a sixth person and you're all having to do that work. And you're all having to stay late to do that work. And so you become desperate to fill the hole on the team. And it's always a mistake. I had a great coach, Leslie Koch, who once said to me, if you're not dying to hire this person, don't hire the person. 
when I was at Apple, there was a saying that I don't know whether he really said this or not, but that Steve Jobs said it's better to have a hole than an hole, and that's also true. Like, don't just succumb to desperation hiring. Yeah, I, I've got a related story. When I first started the international job in AdSense mm-hmm. under you back in 2005, as you recall, I was flying to China. It seemed like constantly. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I made probably 10 trips in six months or something like that. Yeah, you were pretty desperate to find a leader. I badly needed someone to manage that team. And we saw a lot of candidates. We mm-hmm. weren't having a hard time getting candidates. And luckily for me, I had some people around me who were a little more experienced who were holding me accountable. They were saying things like, look, you can hire this other person, but we don't think it's going to work. Anyway, it took me months and months and months and months. I was I think desperate. Brian Schreier was given some good advice there. That's right. That's exactly who it was. Brian Schreier. Took me months and months and months and months, airplane trip after airplane trip after. It was painful. I was desperate. We finally found our guy, Roy Joe, who's in your book, by the way. Yeah, I love Roy. Yeah, he's amazing. And he's gone on to do some amazing things. And it was worth the wait. And I can only see that. As with all of these hiring things, this is ultimately a success. Most of the time we're making hiring mistakes, right? (laughs) Roy was a huge success. It was. But these things are really easy to see in hindsight. They're much harder to see up front. So hopefully today we can help people see some of these things up front. Be willing to take that 16th trip to China to get the right person. (laughs) Okay. So we've experienced quite a few mistakes with hiring over the years. And luckily, we've kept learning from those mistakes. If you have a story about learning from a hiring or interviewing mistake, we'd love to hear it. So email us at podcast at radicalcandor.com or leave us a voice message at 2626-CANDOR. Coming up, we're going to jump into a recent coaching scenario where Russ helps someone assess their hiring process. But first, a word from our sponsor. So, Kim, I was talking with a really good friend of mine. His name's Randy, and he owns a company called Gale Force. And Gale Force helps people recover after natural disasters. They have a bunch of people that do construction and they do a bunch of mold remediation, all anything you can imagine that needs to get done after some kind of disaster. And he's got uh, this business set up at the beach where they have more than their fair share of natural disasters. And so he's got a guy on his team who he considers a very strong manager. And, and this guy's name is Ryan. And, you know, and this is just a totally different industry than out here in the Silicon Valley. And I just really wanted to I'm interested in the business and I just really wanted to see if our stuff would apply. Mm -hmm. And so Ryan and I got on the phone and I was asking Ryan about some of the issues he was having with his teams. And basically, he described a scenario in which he had a certain set of expectations for the way his teams would behave when they were on site at the customer's like home or the customer's business. And he described a situation in which often his employees were not actually manifesting the behaviors that he expected. So what were they doing? They were... Well, just some simple examples include language. Gale Force wants to be professional. They want you to feel confident. They right. want to be able to feel like th- their customers can feel like they can leave their homes and everything safe. will be fine and feel safe and all those things. And there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. And so Ryan, as he's talking me through this, it's pretty clear his hypothesis is that there's a training problem. Mm -hmm. Um, which is not unreasonable, right? He's got to teach these guys to clean up their language. Yeah, exactly. And many other things in terms of the cleanliness of the uniforms, things like that. But I'm having a different hypothesis as I'm listening because a lot of things he's talking about feel a little more intrinsic or at least things that you can 
understand if somebody cares about this on their own before they've ever been taught or tried to have been taught. It's hard right? to clean up your language. You're, you're working on me, and you're not having a lot of luck. I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely not. But thankfully, we have that beep. Yeah. That beep uh, from our producers. And so I do think Ryan was asking an age-old question that I, I think is worth just diving into a little bit here, which is, is it training or is it hiring? Or is it tra- and how do you know? Yeah. Right? And I think in this case, it's actually pretty hard to know. If we set aside the use of foul language for a second and talk about other behaviors that would show that someone's more service-oriented more naturally than others, I think that's the insight here. And the reason I had the hypothesis that there was a hiring problem versus a training problem was... Because as I started to ask questions about their hiring process, they had what sounded like a very standard hiring process, which Mm -hmm. is look at a resume, do a little bit of a rough skill assessment on the resume, have really one person who ultimately makes the decision, does most of the work, looks at the resume, does the interview, brings them in, talks to them, and makes the decision. And there's just some components of their hiring process that were obviously flawed to me. And that led me to believe that maybe there was a really big problem here with hiring. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Russ. Like, if you think about whether people out there in the world already have kind of a service mentality, then hire those people. They've already got it. You don't have to train them. There are times when you absolutely have to train people, but if you need math skills, hire people with math skills. If you need people with a service mentality, hire people who already have that mentality. There's no reason to train people unnecessarily. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's right. And getting really clear on what's most important to you. In their case, in Gale Force's case, They were hiring for things that they could teach easily, like specific hard skills, like hit the nail. Right. But they were not hiring for the things that were, in in their minds, they were experiencing much more difficult to teach, which were the behaviors that go into having a good service orientation. So if it's important to you to have your employees look presentable, just say in the interview process, like, does this person present well? Does this person look presentable when they come into the interview? Because if they don't look presentable for the interview, they sure as heck aren't going to look presentable when they come into work every day. Yeah, absolutely. I think a rigorous hiring process does take some time and focus, takes a bit of discipline, but it's just way easier than training people and way, way easier than firing them. Yeah. So hopefully these ideas will help you assess your own hiring and interviewing processes and figure out how they align with the issues that you're seeing team wide. And of course, now we'll talk more about how to adjust your process because it's time for this week's candor checklist. So through the stories at the beginning, you heard that Russ and I have made a bunch of mistakes when hiring and interviewing people, and we've learned a lot. We want to share our learnings with you in a few actionable tips for your hiring process. Tip number one, create a three to four person hiring panel. So it's not just one person's job to hire. Identify somebody as the hiring manager, and then you can assign other specific roles on your hiring panel. Uh, One role might include there's a person whose job it is to assess specifically hard skills. Another person's job could be specifically to assess culture fit. Another person's job could be specifically to assess if this person has demonstrated the right behavior. Something like that. Uh, The hiring panel shouldn't be just a bunch of bosses. 
The hiring panel should include the boss for sure. The hiring manager needs to be on the panel. Yep. Of course. But also the people that are going to work, that are going to be peers to this person, right? The employees on the team. If there's a heavy cross-functional component, go grab the cross-functional partner and put them on the hiring panel too. And the last principle I'd say that I think is really important for a hiring panel is try to make it as diverse as you can. If you think about it, the big problem of one person hiring, if you don't have a diverse panel, you just have a slightly different version of that problem. As you get your panel more and more diverse, whether that's ethnic diversity, whether that's gender diversity, any kind of diversity you can imagine, experiential diversity, they're all good because they help you have a broader picture of the candidate that you're trying to hire. It's also going to help you sell the candidate. There's nothing less appealing than being a woman and going in to interview for a job and only interviewing men and feeling like you're going to be the only woman in the place. It's a lonely feeling. So you want both for judgment and for sales to have a diverse interview panel. Tip number two is plan what areas you're going to focus your interviews on and who's going to probe each. So plan what areas you're going to focus your interviews on, but being very clear about what skills, what hard skills you're trying to find out if the person has mastered, and also what are the things that you want to look at. So in the story that you told earlier, Ryan wanted to look for sort of a service mentality, a presentability good language. Admit what those things are and write them down. When we were at Google, it was... General cognitive ability, Mm -hmm. leadership, Mm -hmm. role-related knowledge and expertise. Well, that was the first one, the skills. And then Googliness, (laughs) uh, which was actually really important. And And that was defined in some detail, too. Yeah. And so define these things. And the other reason why it's so important to define the things that you're interviewing for is because you're less prone to bias when you've defined them. And you're admitting sort of what you've seen or not seen that brings you to these conclusions. Yeah, outstanding. Tip number three, check references to verify your impressions. So lots of people have different ideas about references. My experience is lots and lots of people are checking references, and that's great. But are you getting the most out of that reference check? And a thing I'd like to offer is I think a reference check is a great way for you to assess behaviors. So we've done what you described, Kim. They've identified the behaviors that we expect, and they've tried specifically to probe for those behaviors in the interview. So like we're hiring for radically candid people. And so we're trying to ask questions that say, what's the hardest feedback you ever got? What's the hardest feedback you ever had to give? That exactly. Kind of thing. Yeah, just like that. And so we'll develop an impression and we'll walk away saying, we think this person's pretty radically candid. And then it's crucial to go back and check references after and to try to validate or invalidate that impression so that we can make sure that the other people that have worked with this person in the past have actually seen them manifest those behaviors in the real world. It's important to understand that. And if they haven't, we might need to go back to the drawing board and check again. Also really helpful to find a backdoor reference, somebody you know in common who's going to shoot straight with you. Tip number four Have an in-person 30 to 60-minute hiring meeting with the panel. If you're going to ask three to four people to spend time interviewing the person, it's worth it to get together in person to share impressions on the areas that each person was assigned to, to have a real conversation about how everybody feels about hiring this person, and then to make a final decision. So to summarize... 
Tip number one, create a three to four person hiring panel. Tip number two, plan what areas you're going to focus your interviews on. Tip number three, check references to verify your impressions. Tip number four, have a 30 to 60 minute hiring meeting with everybody who interviewed the person. As always, if you want to reference these tips again, visit RadicalCandor.com slash podcast to see the show notes. That's it for this week's episode of Radical Candor. Our producers are Kristen Meinzer and Jennifer Lai. Thanks also to Andy Bowers at Panoply and to the great Elise Lockhart at Candor, Inc. Our theme song is written and performed by Cliff Goldbacher. Please let us know what you think of the show and share your challenges and stories with us. You'll find us on Twitter at Candor. Our email address is podcast at RadicalCandor.com. And, of course, our website is RadicalCandor.com. Get help putting the Radical Candor ideas into practice with the Candor Coach iOS app. Download it now from the App Store. The Radical Candor book is also available wherever you buy books. If you like the show, please help us spread the word. And make sure to subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so that you'll automatically get each and every new episode. Please also leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover the show and lets us know how to make things better. I'm Kim Scott. And I'm Russ Laraway. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.